Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast. This is where we have unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. Now today I am going to share with you a chapter from a book I wrote last year, Doctors Are Not Gods. This whole book is around the premise of taking responsibility for our own health and well-being, something that I think is pretty pertinent in uh, what's going on in today's climate. So Please enjoy the chapter and next week I'll be back interviewing a person on a topic that some people feel uncomfortable about and they want society to talk more on. So love your feedback as always. Please rate, review, send me your feedback, send me ideas on new uh, interesting people to interview or even topics that you might have in your mind. So contact me through socials or hello at wabisabiseries.com. Enjoy the episode and see you again next week. Giving precious time or taking it away. The will to live is a very powerful thing. I believe it implicitly. When mum was in her final phase, dad called me and said the doctor had given her only three weeks to live. I was living in Alice Springs at the time which is 2,405 kilometres away from where my parents were living in Gippsland, Victoria. I jumped on a plane and was with her immediately. Mum died 25 days after I arrived. She had gone through a long and very tough battle that had had so many hurdles for her to deal with along the way. She was incredibly frail, she was in a lot of pain, and she was ready to go. I recall thinking... But how do they know when you're ready to go? Sure, in some cases the vital organs die or just give out and that's it. You can't breathe or your heart stops. But with chronic illness, I've always been curious. How do they decide the length of time or the number? This relates back to the main theme of this book, the power doctors hold. Depending on their language, they can have the power of life and death over someone who's unwell and it's imperative that they wield it appropriately. I'm sure there have been cases where doctors have got the number grossly incorrect, both negatively and positively. But I wonder, is that entirely their fault? Or was it that the patient didn't want to be here anymore, or was in no way ready to leave and fought an unbelievable battle to stay? I've heard and read so many stories of people who have lived for years after being given only weeks or months to live. And then others where their wife of 50 years dies and they die weeks later with no obvious medical ailments but must have felt there was no one left to live for. Are these cases where the mind truly is more powerful than the body? Or, in the case of the second example, is it actually possible to die of a broken heart? My wonderful stepmother, Glenis, has been a medical professional for nearly 47 years and tells me she has seen and heard of many interesting cases in this regard over her years of nursing. She says, We are ethically bound to disclose to patients the results of the tests, the diagnosis, but not necessarily the prognosis, or the likely outcome, unless they specifically ask. If a patient is dying and there's no cure... In many cases, the family will want to know all the details, but then opt to not tell the patient if there is no specific reason to tell them. They may pass away, eventually, 
but if they never knew, often they last much longer than we all expected. It's interesting, because I'm telling you throughout this book to trust your gut instincts, to listen to your body. But in the case of the will to live, I do believe that the mind has an enormous part to play. Being curious about this phenomenon, in discussions with my oncologist years after Mum's passing, I asked him his view on giving someone a number of days, months or years to live. He emphatically told me he never gives a number and felt it was more harmful than good. He said, The mind is a powerful thing, and by telling someone they've got six months to live, you may in fact be taking six years of their life away. He, like me, believed the more vital factor was a person's will to live. It reminds me of something else I asked him in an early recovery session. I'd read up a fair bit on cancers and the best possible recovery tips. All the usual suspects, eating better, exercising, drinking in moderation, no smoking, etc. Given he was one of Sydney's top oncologists, I figured I'd better ask him what I should and should not be doing. I went in with a list, pen in hand. When I said there were mixed reports about whether I should be drinking alcohol or not, he looked at me deadpan and said, Michelle, you are okay to drink wine, but you are under strict doctor's orders to never, ever drink bad quality wine ever again. And to this day, I follow his advice to the letter. <laughs> 